Thank you, Evan. We continue our series based on uh, paragraphs from our doctrinal statement or the proposed statement and the subject today is angels. But first, the Bible reading and it comes from the book of Acts chapter 12 and starting at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed, followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. The relevant section of our doctrinal statement that we think about this morning is there on the screen along with several scripture references. It says, We believe that God created spirit beings known as angels. We believe the Bible teaches that Satan is a personal angelic being, the highest of all angelic creatures. Satan sinned through pride and with him other angels known as demons joined Satan's rebellion against God. Satan through his revolt became the author of sin. Satan is the open and declared enemy of God and humankind and he shall be eternally punished in the lake of fire. And then various Bible references are given. Now it's interesting uh, that many of the historic statements of Christian faith express biblical doctrine without any reference to angels. Now the main reason for this is that um, the Bible references to angels are really of a secondary nature. They add little to our knowledge of angels as such but rather they give us an understanding of God 
what he does and how he does it. The Bible speaks of angels but does not tell us much about angels. However, useful information can be gained by looking at the relevant Bible verses. Such study will also help us distinguish biblical fact from fanciful misconceptions about wings and harps and halos that are often associated with the secular world's representation of angels. So let's start off with some terminology. The Greek and Hebrew words for angel means messenger. This emphasises their primary role. For example, in Hebrews 1 and 14, the writer reminds his readers, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels are spiritual beings with a life form beyond our earthly experience and their purpose is to serve God and his people. Various references indicate that there are many angels and they're usually referred to as a host or the heavenly host. For example, at the birth of Jesus in Luke 2.13, a great company of the heavenly host appeared praising God. The term archangel appears in scripture two times. First in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and then in Jude verse 9 where the archangel is named Michael. The term means chief angel and so this suggests to us that there's a seniority amongst the angelic community, some more significant than others. Then there are four references to one named Gabriel, two in Daniel and two in Luke. Now Daniel 9.21, Daniel says, Gabriel came to me. He instructed me. Now Luke is more specific when writing about this Gabriel And he says regarding Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord and have been sent to speak to you, Zechariah. So this angel had a name and he carried out a specific assignment from God. There's actually no evidence in scripture that all angels have fancy wings. However, cherubim and seraphim are mentioned as being winged creatures. Cherubim simply means many cherubs and seraphim means lots of seraphs. And in Isaiah 6.2, Isaiah saw the Lord seated on a throne 
and above him were many seraphs each with six wings while these creatures may be included under the general heading of angelic beings the references seem to imply that they have unique characteristics and special assignments linked specifically to God's throne and to his holiness. Now another term that appears in scripture on a number of occasions is the term the angel of the Lord. For example in Exodus 3.2 the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Psalm 34.7 the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Then in Acts 8.26, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road that goes down to Gaza. Now there seem to be three possible meanings for this term. In a few cases, the term seems to represent God himself actually appearing in visible human-like form. In other Old Testament verses, the term seems to describe a brief visible appearance of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, prior to his incarnation. In other verses, it seems to mean an angel messenger with a specific assignment, something like Gabriel. Now, which meaning is usually made clear by the context of the reference. Now, this uncertainty about exactly what the term the angel of the Lord means implies that we can't really draw conclusions about all angels from these particular references. So it would seem, therefore, that among the many spiritual beings known as angels, there are different classes and there are varying responsibilities. And while in general they are messengers, some have unique responsibilities and specific areas of service. Even so, the Bible gives few details and numerous questions we might have remain without answers. Now important in the field of terminology is the term demons and that's what we'll turn to now. Evil angels. Now in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 we read, God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell to be held for judgment. So it seems that they were created morally good and they were provided with choice. And some chose to disobey God. While these rebel angels are reserved for final judgment, they have a degree of freedom by which they carry on their evil ways. The angel creatures of evil are known as demons. And Paul recognises the reality 
of evil powers at work in our unseen world. In Ephesians 6.12 he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He is referring to the power of the supernatural demonic forces around us. The chief of demons is Satan and the name means adversary. He is also named as the devil and that name means accuser. He's engaged in opposing God and the redemptive work of Christ. His primary strategy is temptation and deception. Mark 4, Matthew 4, 1. Even Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Satan and the demons who serve him carry out their evil work in the world and oppose the spiritual progress of God's people. However, although powerful, Satan's power is limited. He can be resisted and overcome. Paul reminds us in Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And James says in his chapter 4 and verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In Job 2, it's interesting that there's a record of Satan asking permission of God before he afflicts Job. And then in Luke 22:31, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan is subject to God's sovereign authority. He had to seek permission to get at Job. He had to ask Jesus before he could get to Peter and the other disciples. God will never allow temptation beyond what we can bear. And Paul assures us in 1 Corinthians 10.13, when you are tempted by Satan, God will provide a way out. Let's look a little more at the origin, the nature and the status of angels. In the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, angels are not mentioned, nor is their origin described anywhere in scripture. However, it may be inferred from a couple of verses, Psalm 148 verses 2 and a few that follow, and then Colossians 1.16, that they were indeed created by God at some prior time to the Genesis 1 and 2 account. They are creatures, that is, created beings. They were created by God in eternity past. 
And in Luke 20 verse 36 we read, those taking part in the resurrection of the dead, those believers who take part in the resurrection of the dead, can no longer die because they are like the angels. And then Matthew 22.30 we're told, at the resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage because they will be like the angels. So these verses indicate that angels do not die, they do not marry and therefore reproduce. The verses may even imply that angels are without gender. Although when we come to descriptions of angels that appeared in bodily form, the descriptions are always in terms of male pronouns. Angels do not have material bodies as part of their essential being. However, they may take on a human-like form so as to be seen. In Judges 13.6, the woman who was to become the mother of Samuel said to her husband, a man of God appeared to me. He looked like an angel, very awesome. Then in Matthew 28, 2 and 3, following the resurrection of Jesus, an angel of the Lord came down. His appearance was like lightning and he spoke to the women. This affirms their primary function as messengers to humankind. Yet instances of people encountering visible angels reduces markedly when we come to the epistles in the New Testament. Now the usual explanation for that is now the increased activity of the Holy Spirit in the life of all believers. We saw earlier that angels had free will and so are able to make choices and those who obey God are angels or holy angels and those who disobey are described as demons. And this indicates that these creatures have both personality and character. Now all angelic beings are subordinate to the Father. We've seen that earlier. Holy angels carry out his will. They never act on their own initiative. And similarly, Jesus the Son is superior to angels. Angels attended him on a number of occasions, such as his birth, his temptation his resurrection and then demons were subject to his authority during his time here on earth. On the other hand, angels are created superior to humans. One relevant reference is Psalm 8 verse 5 where the psalmist says, God made humankind a little lower than the angels 
So angels occupy a unique status in God's creation and purposes, delivering their divine messages so that they can be received and also understood. They will continue to serve God into eternity. And Paul indicates in Colossians 2.18 that we are not to worship angels. Now what about their activities? We have indicated that angels are primarily messengers of God and we've mentioned some of their activities but here I want to stress some of them. Firstly, angels continually praise and glorify God. Psalm 103 verses 20 and 21 Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Now while that praise and glorification usually occur in heaven, it does sometimes occur on earth. Luke 2, at the birth of Jesus, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. That happened on earth. And then we're told that it will also happen when Jesus returns and all the holy angels with him. Second point about the activities of angels. Angels communicate and reveal God's message to humans. In a general sense, all people or any people, Stephen told the Sanhedrin prior to his stoning, you have received the law that was put into effect through angels but you have not believed it the writer of Hebrews warned his readers in chapter 2 and verse 2 of that book we must pay careful attention to what we have heard if the message spoken by angels was binding how shall we escape if we ignore it Angels communicate and reveal God's message to people in general. Next, angels minister specifically to believers. Acts 12.7, as we read earlier, with Peter in prison, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Quick, get up, he said, and Peter's chains fell off. Hebrews 1.14 sums it up well. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve God's people? The Bible really has no place for guardian angels. By that I mean some unseen heavenly attendant who hovers around to be at our beck and call. No, there are many angels to help us, that is true but they act as messengers sent by God. We are to pay careful attention to the message they bring 
and obey the God whose message we hear. People in general, believers in particular. Third, next one, angels may execute judgment on the enemies of God. There's a dramatic example in 2 Kings 19 and verse 35. It concerns the Assyrians who dealt harshly with God's people. And we're told that the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. Then in Acts 12.23 Because Herod did not give praise to God an angel of the Lord struck him down and he died. So we start off with angels praising and glorifying God. Then they have a role as messengers to people. People in general, believers in particular and enemies of God on occasion. Last point, angels attended Jesus at significant events in his life. We see that this at his birth, his temptation, his resurrection, his ascension, and then we are told when he returns, when Jesus returns, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne. They serve God, people, and they attend Jesus. Now summing up, it is true that angels play a role in the life of the Christian as part of God's purposes for us. And it is an encouragement to know that powerful and unseen agents of God can be there to help us in our times of need. The worship and service of angels, holy angels, set us a good example. And they might be giving us an example of what we might be doing when we get to heaven and reach our heavenly home. But there are unseen forces of evil at work in our world. Awareness of Satan and his demons can help us counter their mischief. However, we should not give undue attention to or take an unhelpful interest in these other world subjects. We are warned to be careful. Next, it is helpful to know that Satan and the forces of evil have limited power and face God's ultimate judgment. But by God's grace, we always have the Holy Spirit resident in us to help us so that we overcome. Next, it's sobering to realise that even angels can fall. It reinforces Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 10.12, if you think you are standing firm, be careful. 
that you do not fall. We too are to serve God in different ways perhaps to angels but with the same end point in view the praise, honour and worship of God. But we do need to be careful and not fall. Now what about this statement in our um, document? We note that it's very brief and actually it tells us quite a bit about Satan and his activities. And the scripture references given all relate to that particular part of the subject. So in a word, the statement is rather unbalanced. Earlier we mentioned that historic creeds and statements of faith rarely make any mention of angels. I've gone carefully through 14 of them, um, some of the older ones, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, 39 articles, the Westminster Confession and then a number that relate to denominations of our time or Christian organisations of our time. And the reason for this is because the topic is really of secondary importance in Scripture and essential Christian doctrine can be expressed without any need to refer to angels. So maybe we should give a little more thought to this particular paragraph in the doctrinal statement. Well, a little bit about angels, but not very much. Now, there are printed copies of the text available on the table as you leave, but we're going to close with a prayer. And here's the prayer. You'll notice that it's said, I've adapted the words of 1 Thessalonians 3.13 and um, it ends with a reference to the holy ones. Now in scripture that does apply to the believing people who are waiting with expectation of the Lord's return. But it also includes the ones we've been talking about this morning. But I want that we will pray this prayer together as we close our service. So let us pray. May the Lord strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. Then we'll know a lot more about angels.